Merry Christmas. Kids, this is our last Advent sermon of this year, of 2023. We started off this series, this celebration of Advent, by talking about how uh, God sent Jesus into the world to be a mediator. Remember that word, mediator? Remember what it means? A mediator is someone who it comes between people who are disputing and fighting or at odds with each other and helps them work out their differences and bring them back together in restoration and peace. There's all kinds of mediators in this world because there's all kinds of division and strife in this world, but there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The one mediator between God and man. Jesus came to make peace between us and God. He's, that's why he, our Emmanuel came, to make peace between, to reconcile miserable sinners to a holy God. He's the great peacemaker, the prince of peace. We talked about why it was necessary that Jesus should come as a mediator. That's because of our sin. Adam's sin and the sin that we've added to the Adam's guilt, which we've inherited, have put us at odds with the holy God, have separated us from him and put us out of fellowship with him. And there's absolutely nothing you and I can do about that to fix the problem, to get us back into a right relationship with God. Nothing. But God had pity on us. And out of the great love with which he loved us, he sent forth his son Jesus into the world to be our mediator and to bring about reconciliation and peace. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We've talked the last three Sundays about the different aspects of Jesus' mediating ministry. How as God's ultimate prophet, Jesus, the word of God in the flesh, the word incarnate, came down to us and spoke God's word to us face to face. How as God's ultimate priest, Jesus offered himself, the spotless lamb of God, the great high priest offered his, himself in our place as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. He made peace with God through the blood of his cross for us. This morning, Pastor Weeks talked to us about how Jesus is the ultimate king, the king of kings, and how he exercises his sovereign authority over all things to subdue the works of darkness and to bring our own rebellious hearts into submission to his will and to lead us in the way that we should go. That's the way, those are the main ways in which Jesus, the mediator, exercises his office of reconciliation and peacemaking among us and for us. And his mediating ministry is available to all of us right now, right now. And if you haven't availed yourself of his peacemaking work, I would plead with you, today, immediately, to come to him and be reconciled to God through him. There is no other way, and what a way he has made for us through his son. Now, tomorrow is Christmas, and that is the day we celebrate with joy 
the coming of this mediator, Jesus, into the world and the very beginnings of his ministry and his work. In order to prepare our hearts for that tomorrow, I want us to meditate tonight on two truths from God's word, that are two truths that are beautifully expressed from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 15. And these are the two truths that I want us to reflect on from this passage. First of all, what the Father was aiming at in sending his son Jesus to be a mediator. What was he trying to accomplish? What measure of peace and reconciliation was he working to bring about between us and himself through Jesus? That's the first thing. The second thing is how fully and how far Jesus embraced his ministry as a mediator. Those are the things I want us to see tonight from Hebrews 2, verses 10 to 15. This is God's word, and it is eternally true. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which, which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him and again, Behold, I and the children with whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot there. I just want to try to focus on these two things. The first one is, what was God aiming at, ultimately, with regards to us, in sending his son Jesus into this world as a mediator? The aim of mediation is reconciliation, peacemaking, bringing people who are at odds back together, healing broken relationships. Sometimes in this sin-racked world, it's just not really possible to heal all divisions and strifes. Sometimes mediators can't even bring people back together in peace and reconciliation. Sometimes mediators simply have to say to people who are at odds with each other, okay, listen, here's the way it is. You're going to get this, and you're going to get that, and that's the end of the matter. We're done here. But usually what results from that kind of peacemaking effort is a kind of uh, unsteady, unsatisfying, begrudging sort of truce or peace, right? What degree of peace was God the Father looking to establish with us through his son Jesus? What measure, what sort of peace? That kind of peace, a kind of begrudging, half-measure peace, or something more? Let's look at it from our perspective. We're the offenders. God is the innocent, offended party. What kind of peace could you and I hope for, best case scenario, even with the help of a great mediator like Jesus? What, what, what do you think we could hope for? Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? 
And the son who had squandered his inheritance and he comes to his senses in the pig pen and he's thinking, I need to go back and try to make things right with my dad. Do you remember what he says to himself? He says, I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. That's what he says to himself there in the pig pen. That was the most that this desperate, foolish, disobedient son thought he could hope for. Maybe dad would just take me back on as a servant, as a slave. How did the boy's father respond to him in the parable? It says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and he felt compassion for him, and he ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine, this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. That was the heart of this father for his son. And such is the heart of our Father God towards us in his son, Jesus Christ. God wanted to restore him, our, us to himself as sons to a father. Amen? That's what he was working to do. It would have been amazing enough if he had worked to restore us as slaves, you know, just been like, put us under the whip. That would have been better. That would have been maybe more than we could hope for in our sin. But that's not what God was up to. He was up to something unbelievably great and merciful and rich and beautiful, making us his sons. It says it in Hebrews 2 verse 11. For it was fitting for him, that's the father, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. He's going to go on to say what was fitting in light of this, but there in the middle he just throws in the great purpose of what he's doing and sending his son into this world. He just There it is, bringing many sons to glory. That's his purpose. And that's what God aimed at before time ever began. Before you were even born, it says in Ephesians and in Galatians that God the Father predestined us to adoption as sons. Before time began, this was God's great purpose, the adoption of many sons and the bringing of those sons to glory. And at the right point in history, God sent Jesus into this world as a mediator to fulfill the conditions that would make that possible and bring that about for us. Galatians 4, 4 to 5, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem and reconcile those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. How do you like them apples? Isn't that amazing? Sons of God. God wasn't working for a simple truce 
or a half measure or a kind of un- unsteady, unstable kind of peace between us. He was working for something really profound, something truly great. He was working to restore us to himself as sons to a father. He wanted us to become part of his family. Us! You disobedient, you and me, part of the family of God, owned as his sons. God in Christ was turning traitors into princes. Not sons on an order less than Jesus Christ, but on the same order as Jesus Christ, like unto Jesus himself, like Jesus in standing before the Father, the same kind of relationship that Jesus has with his Father is open to us through his work. We receive the same love and the same full acceptance. When God looks upon us, he sees his son Jesus. You know when several times in the Gospels we hear the voice of God say, this is my beloved son, I'm well pleased in him. That's the love of the Father for us in Jesus Christ. Amazing. We get to be like Jesus in privilege. We have the same inheritance rights that Jesus has. We're co-heirs with him. It says in Romans 8 that if we're children, then we're heirs also. Heirs of what? Of a kingdom, the kingdom of God, where we are said to rule with Jesus. So we, are the, we inherit the same blessings, the same kingdom, the same inheritance as the Lord Jesus. We're going to be like Jesus as sons in holy character. The same love and faithfulness and obedience that Jesus um, expressed and exhibited in his life here on earth, that's God's goal for you and me. And he has sent the Spirit into our hearts as a, as a down payment, of a, like a pledge of that work that he is bringing about more and more in our lives. He's working holiness into us day by day. That's his work. That's the work of sanctification. And at some point in history, when Jesus returns, that work is going to be gloriously finished. Listen to this. It says in 1 John 3, 2, one of my favorite verses. It says, Now... Right now, those of us who believe are children of God, but we don't know what we will be, but when he appears, we will be like him. Isn't that amazing? We'll be like Jesus in holy character, done with our sin, free from it, free to be exactly what he made us to be in exhibiting his holy character. And finally, like Jesus, in immortality, living forever with him. That's the hope that he has given us. It says, if we, Paul says in Romans 6, 5, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Jesus has been raised never to die again. We will be like him in that respect, immortal. Incredible. That's, at least that, is what God has intended in reconciling us to himself through the peacemaker Jesus. How should that inform our celebration of Christmas tomorrow? You know, kids, presents are great. Toys are fun. Chocolate is yummy. 
what are those things compared to this gift of God in Jesus Christ? Can you imagine a greater gift than that you, a sinner by nature, a child of wrath, prepared for destruction, doomed to hell, would be adopted of the Father and accepted by him every bit as much as his son Jesus is and would receive from him all the blessings that Jesus receives. Is there any better present or gift imaginable than that one? This is a gift so big that if you get a hold of it, you think about it, it changes your perspective on everything. Absolutely everything. You have a father in heaven who is perfect, wise, good, loving, true, always looking out for your well-being and your good, knows every hair on your head, works everything for your good, and preparing you for his kingdom and your inheritance. And so, whatever you get tomorrow, it comes from him. And you can rejoice in it. I hope you'll get good gifts, and I hope you'll love them, but I hope you'll love them as gifts from God, and that you won't let the day go by without praying to him and saying, thanks for being my father. Thanks for saving me. Thanks for so many good blessings that I have, especially my family, my mom, my dad, my friends, my brothers and sisters. Thanks for my church. Thanks for being so good to me. Worship him. Love him. Thank him for being good to you. And then be content and rejoice in what you get. It may not be what you hoped. That's okay. What more could you need than the love of your heavenly Father and his acceptance? Nothing more is needed than that. And I hope, kids, you listening? I hope that you'll think about that tomorrow and that that will inform and instruct how you live You want to be a good and obedient son to your Father in heaven. You want to try to live with all his power at work within you like Jesus lived and respond to life and to situations and to difficulties like he did. Okay? That's the first thing. God was working in Jesus to make us his true sons forever. And not only that, but like Jesus himself. Now, how did he do that? Well, he did it, first of all, by making his son like unto us. That's the second thing I want us to consider. How fully and how far Jesus embraced his work as a mediator between God and man. How far did Jesus stoop to become a mediator and a reconciler between us and God? You know, before his incarnation, that's the fancy word for Jesus becoming man. Before his incarnation, Jesus was an infinite spirit. An infinite spirit. He didn't have a body like men. He was incapable of being hurt or of suffering in any way. He could not die. He was eternal. He was perfectly happy all the time. He had everything he needed and then some. And he had the full display of his glory and all the adulation of all the heavenly hosts constantly. But our text says, in verse 10, you see it, that it was fitting for him, that's the Father, 
for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting to perfect the author of their salvation, speaking of Jesus, through sufferings. That's what was deemed appropriate and necessary and best. That our mediator, our savior, the author of our salvation would be a perfect sufferer. Now, in order for Jesus to become a sufferer, he had to change. He didn't stop being one thing and turn and start being another thing. What he did, without losing any of his divine power and his majesty and his glory and his, the fullness of his being, he kept all of that, but he added to it human nature. He added to it human nature so that he could suffer in our place. That's what it means to be a human. We're mortal. We can hurt. We bleed. We're flesh and bone and blood, and we can suffer. Jesus, in order to be perfected through sufferings, had to become like us, like you and me. So God caused Jesus to be made like us. Look at verse 14. It says, Therefore, since the children, the children God intended to adopt as his own, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. Jesus partook of our nature. He became man, not at the expense of his divine nature, but in addition to it. His divinity was clothed in flesh and blood. You could say, and the text gives us reason to say it, Jesus became our brother. He brothered us. The eternal, infinite Son of God brothered us in becoming man. He was made like us in all things except what? Except sin. He was not guilty in his own. And yet, what did his body look like? Just like yours and mine. It wasn't like a glorified immortal body. It was a mortal one. So his very body, even though he didn't bear any personal guilt or the guilt of Adam himself, he took on a body that showed the marks of the curse and the fall and could die. Jesus did that. An amazing thing to do. That's how far he stooped in becoming our Savior. And this is the really beautiful thing that I want to see in this passage, okay? Jesus did not do that begrudgingly, like unwillingly, kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I have to, if you say so, Dad. That wasn't Jesus' attitude or outlook. He wasn't half-hearted in this. He wasn't embarrassed of you and me, kind of coming down here holding his nose, saying, I guess I'll put up with this as long as I have to. That's not Jesus' attitude or motivation in becoming our brother. Look at what it says in verse 11. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Not ashamed to call us brothers. And the text goes on to quote a bunch of psalms where the voice of Jesus in the psalms is saying, I will, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. He calls us his brothers. Have you ever been ashamed to be around somebody? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when you're walking downtown or in a city and there's a homeless person laying there, do you just, even just like a couple inches, move over 
give them a little bit more space. You don't want to be too near that person. May they make you uncomfortable or ashamed or embarrassed. We went, uh, my father-in-law came to with us to a basketball game of my daughter's, and he was so cheering so loudly that we all just sort of slowly over the course of the game <laughs> scooted further and further away from him. There's people in our lives, or at times, where we are embarrassed or shamed to be near them. Jesus had every conceivable reason to be ashamed of you and me. We gave him every conceivable reason to be ashamed and to keep his distance from us. He is so far above us in glory, infinitely so. He's perfectly righteous, and we are what? Filthy in sin and unclean. And yet Jesus humbled himself to not only be like us, but come and like live among us. He didn't hold himself aloof out in the wilderness like, well, I'll, I'll, I'm here, I'll try to do my work, but I want to keep my distance from everybody. He wasn't afraid of contamination from you and me. You know, he set up his tent right in the middle of town, right in the midst of us. And he didn't hang out with just like the pretty people and the rich people and the clean people. He came to the lowest of the low, and that was the true of him right from the moment of his birth. He came down to us, and he became our brother, and he wasn't ashamed to do it. Isn't that amazing? I love that, that verse and that phrase. He was not ashamed to call us brethren. And you know what? He wasn't jealous of his status as a son either. We have a lot of big families here. Kids, sometimes you've, older kids, you've observed when mom and dad bring home a new little one from the hospital, the, the littlest one prior to that has a hard time adjusting to their sharing mom with another little one. You know, you know what I'm talking about, kids? Yeah? You've seen that? That's kind of natural. I understand it. But was that how Jesus was? Was he begrudging of his relationship with the father? No. He was completely on board with this idea of bring God bringing many sons to glory. He wanted God, his father, and himself to have a big family. He had a big and generous heart towards us. And this brothering wasn't something that Jesus did just for a season. You know, sometimes we can put up with a hard thing to do if we see our way clear to the other side where we're going to like get, get out of it. I started taking cold showers. Don't ask. I have my reasons. I like the outcome on the other side of the experience. But there's never one time where I thought, you know what? I really want to feel the cold water right now. You no, know, it's, it's pretty difficult. The only way I can do it is to, is to think about what's to come. But that's not how Jesus... He didn't just grit his teeth to become our mediator. Okay, I'll get through this best I can, kind of begrudging. That was not his attitude, his spirit. Jesus kept his manhood forever. By taking on, by brothering you and me, he accepted brotherhood with you and me forever. And that's expressed in the fact that when he was raised and was done with his work, he kept his body. 
and he kept his wounds that he bore for you and me. And he took that body to heaven. And he's going to bring that body back with him at, at the day of judgment, the glorious day of his appearing. He kept his body forever, and he's our, our brother forever. So great was his love for us that unashamedly and for all eternity, Jesus has become our brother. How should that knowledge affect our celebration of Christmas tomorrow? Do you have a brother or a sister in your life, kids, that you find hard to love, to accept, hard to tolerate, hard to have patience for? If you're like me, you do. Do you have a family member who's hard to love, a neighbor, a fellow youth group member, somebody here, a pastor maybe, an elder, elders? Is there a congregant that you find hard to love? How would Jesus have you love them, those people who are difficult to love? Do you remember what he says in John 13? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How, just as I've loved you, by coming, your, coming down to you, becoming your brother, you filthy sinner. So also you should love one another. That's how Jesus loved us, and that's how we should love our brothers can you be a brother or sister to someone tomorrow? Can you help your mom clean up the kitchen without being asked? Can you think of someone out there in your life, in your neighborhood, in this church that's lonely and alone on Christmas, and can you reach out to them and love them? Can you make tomorrow about somebody other than yourself? You can, because Jesus times a million has done that for you in becoming your brother and showing you love. And so you can do that. You can do that. Do you think you're easy to love? And yet Jesus has loved us to the uttermost, to the fullest. So let's love one another. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas tomorrow. And especially because you have come to know the love and acceptance of the Father in sending his Son. And I hope you have a Merry Christmas tomorrow because you have come to know and trust in the brothering love and service of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. This is what makes Christmas sweet and meaningful, not presents not fudge, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your great love with which you loved us, that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son Jesus into the world, and he offered himself in our place and died for us. Thank you that in him we are restored to you as sons to a father. Help us to rejoice in your love and to seek to please you as your sons and to live like Jesus. Help us all to do that. 
And I pray, Father, just as Jesus came down and humbled himself and brothered us and has loved us so faithfully and so well, that you would help us, Father, to love one another and to be kind to one another and tender-hearted, and to humble ourselves to think about others and put their needs and desires first. This is to be like Jesus. Help us to do that, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.